Well, what a powerful song that is. And that's the truth, isn't it? We all want to get better. And uh, the reason why we, that song's resonate with me a lot is because during this whole quarantine life, there has been many of areas in my life that I have realized and my family has realized and my wife has realized, Nate, there's some areas you need to get better in. And uh, matter of fact, I don't know if it was a full moon this week or not, but uh, uh, my kids, they need to get better. And uh, this has become real apparent for all of us right now. It's easy to look around us and we go, everybody needs to get better because we are so aware of our faults during this time. And there's so many weaknesses that have come out. And uh, I don't know about you, but this time has been one for my family. It has been so good to be with them, uh, but it has caused us to look around around the house and for the first time in about five years since we moved into our house because we had young kids when we moved in and we've continued to add kids as we moved into the house you know we went wow we haven't hung up pictures we haven't hung up hung up decorations and we're beginning to deal with it and we're you know with our garage it's all a mess we've begun actually for the first time in five years to clean our garage and we're actually dealing and we're taking the time to deal with the messes that are all around us that reality is they've been there the whole time We've just never taken the time to deal with it. And that's why today we're beginning this brand new series in Philippians chapter three and four called Deal With It. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times when we say that phrase to people or when I say it to my kids when I'm kind of frustrated in a moment, just deal with it. That's what you're gonna eat tonight. The problem is a lot of times when we say that or somebody says that to us, especially if like few graduates, if somebody says, hey, yeah, you don't get to walk across the stage, just deal with it. That doesn't help us. As a matter of fact, we don't know how to move in life when people tell us that phrase, deal with it. And so what we want to do is we want to deal with that phrase and go, how does Jesus help us deal with everything in our life that we experience? Matter of fact, that's why we're calling this series, Deal With It, because whatever it is in our life is dealing with you. And here's the thing that we're going to go through over the next couple of weeks is we are going to unpack some conflict moments that we see throughout Philippians chapter three and chapter four. Now, now, as soon as I say that word conflict, some of you are conflicted already about the series on conflict. You're like, oh boy, I don't even like it right now. Some of you are already getting blotches on your neck because you just don't like conflict. Now, now, let me do this just to kind of set the stage a little bit. Let me just ask you this question. I want you to think about the last conflict that you had in your life. Maybe it was when you were trying to even start this service, right? Your kids are going crazy. You're going crazy. Your Wi-Fi is not working. Just think about for a moment, what was the last moment of conflict in your life? Now, let me ask this question. Was that positive or negative conflict? Here's my hunch. Like when I was asked that question, the only thing that came to my mind was negative conflict. There's something about conflict that we always think about as being negative. But when you actually open the scriptures and you begin to study the word of God, what you find is this conflict when it comes to God and godly conflict, actually what you find is this, it's positive. Well, one of the famous passages in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it's kind of the theme of our men's group, Iron Man here. And it says this in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says, iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. That's Proverbs chapter 27. Now, here's the thing. We love to say it. We put it on the back of our Iron Man shirts. That's right. Iron sharpens iron. Have you ever seen iron being sharpened? 
It's not like you just kind of put, you know, some kind of gloss on it and go, oh, wow, look at that, man, that iron, you know, you put that Crisco on it. Now it's really sharp. No, it is clashing. There are sparks flying. It is heating up. And here's the deal. Unless iron heats up and there's this crashing against one another, it never sharpens. Iron without conflict never sharpens. But here's the deal. After it has conflict, it gets sharpened. Matter of fact, one of my favorite passages and, and actually Proverbs 27 isn't even just iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. It's actually up in verse six where it says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wait a second, wounds from a friend. No, you're supposed to love me. You're supposed to tell me how good I am. You're not supposed to wound me. And the scripture says this, no, a good friend actually wounds you. Now here's the deal. A good friend doesn't kill you, right? He wounds you. A good friend doesn't come in and just demolish you. A good friend comes in and he speaks or she speaks the truth in love. I remember when I was going through premarital counseling with Ruthie and I, and I love our premarital counseling ministry here. If you're thinking about getting married, if, if somebody wants me to, to do their wedding, a lot of times I can't because of weekend commitments, but I say, hey, if I'm gonna do any wedding, you have to go through our premarital counseling because it reveals so much about us. And one thing that got revealed to me when I was engaged with Ruthie, I was going through the premarital counseling here, was this question. What do you believe heals and helps you heal? And it had all these different options. And I thought it was this, it's just time. We say that all the time, right? Just give it time and time heals all things. Well, I was confronted and conflicted in that meeting because what I found was this, time actually doesn't heal anything. That's why some of us 25 years later, we are still as mad as we are that first day we were hurt. But without conflict, we actually don't experience what God has for us. Here's the big idea with this series that we're gonna be looking at and what Paul is talking to the church in Philippi is this, godly conflict is always for our good. See, not all conflict and not all conflict in the way that people address conflict is actually good, but godly conflict is always for our good. Let me take it a step further. Matter of fact, this, you can't become a Christian without conflict. Think about it this way. When you and I became a Christian, or if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, the reason why you're even thinking about becoming a Christian is because you're conflicted over the way your life is being lived or what you've experienced in life. And you're going, I don't think that's right. And you are conflicted with the way people have treated you or you are conflicted with your own sin, which the scripture calls conviction by the Holy Spirit. Now here's the deal. Holy Spirit came to convict us, not to condemn us. And good godly conflict is always for our benefit. See, you and I, we become Christians because of good conflict. That's what changes. As a matter of fact, this is what I love about Jesus. If, if you're gonna become a follower of Jesus or if you are following Jesus, here's what I've learned. The more I study Jesus, the more I realize how much conflict he brought into those around us. Matter of fact, he would, stay, he would say bold statements like this. And no wonder some people left him because they, they were gonna have to deal with it. And he would say stuff like this. Unless you hate your mother and your father, you cannot be my follower. Now, some of you junior high students uh, who are watching this right now, you're like, amen. No, 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 no. Let me unpack that passage real quick. He's not saying you have to literally hate your mom and dad. What he's saying is this, unless you love me and follow me more than you follow anything else in your life, you can't be my disciple. But what he was doing is this, he was using conflict to bring out the godly good that he wants to do 
in your life. This is the cool thing about Jesus. He's going to bring things up in our life so that we can deal with it. And not just us, but so that he can deal with it. And let me just tell you this. The more you avoid godly conflict in your life, the less you're going to become like Jesus. See, if you and I want to become like Jesus, we got to deal with it. we got to deal with it. And here's what we find in Philippians, and Paul writes this. He turns on a dime in Philippians chapter 3, and he says this, and just in verse 1, he says this immediately. He says the word, finally. And then he begins to write two more chapters in the book of Philippians, kind of like a good preacher who says, and for my final point, and then keeps preaching for 15 minutes. You're like, wrap it up, man, let's go. Paul begins to say this, and finally, and what he's about ready to do is this. He's setting up the godly conflict. And here's what we're going to find in Philippians chapter 3 and 4. And here's what you and I are going to begin to deal with over the next several weeks is this. Today, we're going to deal with the conflict of our past. Matter of fact, today, we're going to talk about how do you and I get past our past. There's a way for you and I to get past our past because you and I, we remember all of our past. And a lot of times we've tried things to get past our past, but it seems like our past won't leave us. And Paul's going to talk about today, we're going to unpack that. How do you get past your past? Next weekend, we're going to talk about relational conflict. The week after that, we're going to dive into emotional conflict. Then we're going to talk about mental conflict, our thoughts. Then we're going to talk about situational, our contentment conflict. And then finally, he's going to talk about financial conflict. It's kind of like the Bible still has something to say to us today. Isn't that crazy? You're like, how does the Bible know what's going on in the world? It could be because it was written by God through the power of the Holy Spirit, through broken people to bring hope and good news. And so this is what I want us to begin to look at. This idea today, Paul begins to talk about how do we get past our past? Listen what he says in Philippians chapter three, verse one. He begins to talk about this because there's conflict in the church. There's always been conflict in the church because there's always broken people in the church. And listen to what he says in Philippians chapter three, verse one. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. That's part of dealing with conflict as we begin with rejoicing in the Lord. Because he said, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. There's always this rejoicing in the Lord helps us through conflict. And then he says this, a phrase that we need to unpack. It's kind of different, but he says, watch out for those dogs. Now he's not saying literal dogs, all right? He's talking about these pharisaical people who continue to hold on to the old ways of the law and not hold on to Jesus. He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. What he's saying is this, the Jewish people were known by circumcision. This is what set them apart. And he says, this is what they continue to think sets you apart. And this is what God wants you to do so that you are saved and proves you're a follower of God. And Paul says, no, 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 no. He says, watch out for these dogs. And he says this in verse three, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put on no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Paul begins to deal with this conflict. He says, church, there's these people coming in who's saying, really, this is kind of the big idea, that the way God accepts you is by what you do and the good works you've done. And he says, that is not the way of Jesus. Too many times, you and I, we struggle with that conflict, don't we? 
We feel like if we've been good this week or if we were being good boys and girls right now watching the service online, somehow Jesus is gonna bless us. Like we're gonna get that email tomorrow from that prince in a foreign country who wants to drop you know, $20 million. He has so much money. He just needs your bank account, right? All the good's gonna come to us. And what Paul is saying is this, that is wrong thinking and he hits it head on. And he says, that's not the way you deal with life. And he begins to deal with it. He says, there's this conflict, your past. And what he's saying is this, these people end up doing evil, even though they're thinking doing good. And he goes, I got to deal with that. We glory in Christ Jesus. And what he's saying is this, a lot of times you and I, we become conflicted. And you know why we become conflicted, especially when it comes to Jesus? Because you and I carry a lot of shame, don't we? Now I could tell you right now, off the top of my head, five to 10, just biggest regrets. Matter of fact, at my life group this week, Some of us guys, we were talking about that. I began to talk about one of my biggest regrets from my freshman year of high school. And here's the thing, that was a long time ago. That was over 20 years ago, but it's still on my heart and mind. And here's the deal with conflict. Oftentimes, we only think conflict with Jesus is about our shame. And the biggest thing that actually keeps us from moving forward and keeps us tied to the past. And I missed it until I began to look at this passage is this, it's our pride. See, what was keeping these people from moving forward was their pride. And Jesus came to deal with our pride. Now here's how he came to deal with it, not by being prideful, but by being humble. And oftentimes I forget this, You know what the first sin was in the Bible? It wasn't from Adam and Eve. It was pride by Satan. Scripture tells us this, that Satan was actually a fallen angel. And what he began to do is this. He began to take pride in himself more than in the glory of God. Often what keeps us stuck in the past is we never take the time to deal with our pride. And Paul says, church, These dogs, these evil men, these mutilators of the flesh, they think they're doing good and they are blind to their pride. They're not even aware of their shame. They think they are great. And he goes, no, he actually goes on to talk about this. He goes, if that's the case, he goes, I have reason to be the most prideful person. And right after that, Paul begins to talk about all of his accomplishments. He's like, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew. I, I, I was a Pharisee. I was zealous, so zealous. He begins to say this. He goes, I was so much zealous for God that I would persecute the church. Literally, he would kill Christians in the name of God because he thought they were wrong. And he goes, And as for a legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. Paul goes, if it's about us taking pride in our past and that's the definement of what a good person is, he goes, I will beat you all. But he says, that is not it. See, too many times, this is what keeps us in our past and keeps us from moving forward is we never take the time to allow Jesus to deal with our pride. See, that's not the way of the world, is it? The way of the world says, no, glorify yourself. Put your image out there. You got to get your brand out there. This has got to be about you. See, this is why we stay stuck in our past is because we've never really dealt with our pride. So how did Paul deal with his pride? How could he move past his past? I mean, he literally killed Christians and now God is using him to write the New Testament to encourage the church. How did he move forward from that? 
How do you and I move forward from our shame? How do we move forward when you go, Nate, I would love to not be a prideful person, but it keeps coming up in my life. It seems like it's just kind of in me. Yeah, this is the thing. We are sinful people. Listen what he says. He goes, here's how I deal with this. Here's how I move past my past. And listen what Paul says. He says, whatever was to my prophet in verse seven, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not about my good works, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul says, here's how I get past my past. And he uses this word three times, consider. Do you see that? See, this is what's great. We want to, we want to pay attention when you, when you hear somebody or you read something in scripture, if they use a word over and over again, it's a trigger word about what they are doing and what they're practicing. And this, you know how Paul moved past his past? It's not that he forgot his past. We say those silly phrases, don't we? You just need to forgive and forget. Has that ever actually happened to anybody? You're saying that because you don't know what to say to somebody. It's not what Paul does. Paul says, I am mindful of my past. I can't forget my past. I know what I've done. It haunts me. You know what I do to move forward? He says, I consider whatever was to my profit now loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever good I've done, I don't hold to that. He goes on to say this, I, I consider all of that a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Christ. He's not saying he hasn't done great things in his life. Some of you've done unbelievable things. You've started businesses. You've created, you know, medical genius things. You've done all these great things. It's not to diminish that. But what Paul is saying is this. I consider all of that less compared to knowing the greatness of Christ. And then most scholars believe he uses a word here that's like the closest word to a cuss word you can use almost in the scriptures. And he says this, this is why it kind of sounded funny. He says, and I consider them, he says, I consider everything I've done rubbish. Now we don't really use that word rubbish. Some people translate it garbage, but theologians translate it this way at the root of it and contextually it just means this. And I'm gonna say this word in church and I know you're gonna, you're gonna raise your eyebrows a little bit and I'll probably get an email or two, but it's in the scripture. It literally means this word, crap. Crap. See, Paul knows this. If I'm really gonna move past my past, I have to begin to look at everything I've accomplished and let it pale in comparison to Christ. He goes, I consider everything I've done to be crap compared to knowing Christ. That he's going, I'm not taking pride in what I've done. See, this is what freezes of our pride. This is how Christ came to deal with our pride. He's going, let me change your heart and your life. Matter of fact, when I was cleaning out the garage, this is something funny I kind of found in the garage. And I, these are the only two things I kind of kept from this box. And it was a box of all of my trophies from playing Little League as a kid. And, uh, and these are the two trophies that I kept. And uh, I just thought it'd be hilarious to share them with you today. Uh, this one, uh, fresh from 1989, uh, the A Division champions, Nathan Ross. And uh, as you can tell, yeah, that's not a, a, a mismanufactured thing. This is T-ball. 
And for whatever reason, I kept my T-ball trophy from 1989, didn't know it. And when I was unpacking uh, some boxes this uh, past couple weeks in the garage, I'm like, this is hilarious. And for some reason in 1989, I remember, I think I was on the Reds team. I remember getting this award in 1989 going, this means the world to me. And then now I kind of laugh at it. And I found this award too. It's from 2000, 20 years ago. It's from my senior year of basketball. And I won the Silver Creek Basketball Sportsmanship Award, which was code word for me. Uh, you're a really nice guy, but you have no jump shot. And uh, so we need to figure out some award to give you. Uh, you're the Sportsmanship Award. And what's funny is this. I remember hanging on to this all through college. Like, That's right, man. Sportsmanship. And now we kind of look at this and we go, Nate, you might want to put those away, my man. You know, if you came into my office and we had kind of a moment to hang out and you saw my T-ball awards hanging up, you'd be like, can I talk to another pastor? Is there anybody else here? I don't know if I want to talk to this guy. See, what's funny is sometimes what seems, what seems what makes to be uh, this whole idea of our world actually ends up not being our world. Matter of fact, this week at our all staff, we had a retreat and we got our staff together. We practiced social distancing. We, we, we practiced everything, you know, so we were safe. And this person that came and shared said this. They said, during this time, he asked this question. He said, what could God be doing in your life right now that's worth a pause? Let me ask that question to you. What is God doing right now that's worth you taking a pause? I have a feeling during this time, God is speaking deeply to a lot of us, myself included. Going, what you thought was so important or maybe what you've built your life on right now because it is totally out of our control, isn't it? And what's happening is this. God is saying, I want to do something deeper in your life. You want to know how you move past your past? You really let Christ start dealing with your past. Here's the big idea I want you to write down. Paul doesn't forget his past. What Paul does is this. He remembers his past differently. He remembers his past differently. You and I, if we want to move past our past, you're not going to forget it. We begin to remember it differently. I love what Tom Gilbert said, our care pastor. He said he shares this in addiction groups and all this other stuff. As some people who come in and they're an alcoholic and they feel so much shame and everybody doesn't, they don't want to talk about what they've done. They don't talk about where, they, where they've been. And he goes, no, you need to remember your past differently. And he says this, it has taken every drop to get you to this point. So don't brag about what you've drank. Don't try to forget it. Know that every drop has brought you to this point and Christ is ready to move you from your past and into your future. Remember your past differently. See, a lot of times we wanna numb our past. We wanna take our past away. We wanna get rid of our ideas. And Christ says, no, I wanna deal with your past. And here's the deal. If we don't deal with it, it will deal with us. And Christ says, you let me 
deal with this. You let me in on this. Now, here's the thing. When we let Christ deal with it, and this is what baptism is all about, is we go and know Christ, we say, you have dealt with it on the cross. You are changing me. We are, child, we are children of you. You have begun to make me new, and I'm moving forward. But then here's what happens. A lot of times, once we become a Christian, we feel, we're like, oh, I can't mess up. Matter of fact, I remember one lady I baptized a number of years ago. And when we, we baptized her, it was so neat. We were standing backstage, a couple of us, and you just saw this sheer tear come over her face. And she just looked at us and she said, well, what if I mess up tomorrow? Do I have to come back and get baptized next weekend? No, 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 that's not what it's about. What we're saying is this, you believe that Christ has saved you. He has taken away your sin and your shame. And now it is about you following him. And this is what Paul says. Listen how Paul continues to move forward and not let his past haunt him. Verse 12, he says this, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. Paul's like, no, I know I'm not perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And then listen to what he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. You know what keeps us stuck in our past is we're trying to attain a future that you and I can never attain. We're trying to perfect our lives. We're trying to make everything pristine or we're trying to give the image that everything is good. And you know how I, what, what Paul does? He says, you know how I move past my past? I confess we're in process frequently. Number one, he says, I remember my past differently because of what Christ has done. But then he says, I confess that I'm in process frequently. That's what you and I need to begin to do. Don't worry about trying to be perfect. You know what he says? Only let us live up to what we have already attained in Christ Jesus. I press on. Matter of fact, he says this word, forgetting what's behind. Again, you're like, well, Nate, I thought you said you can't forgive and forget. You know what that word forgetting means? I love this definition. It means to begin to overlook. You and I will never really forget. But what Paul says is this, you know how I move forward? I don't begin to focus more on that. I begin to focus more on Christ. I begin to allow him to move me forward. Oh yeah, I can confess that. Can I make a confession to you right now? You know what my problem was growing up? That I was good at being good. I was good at being good. The only thing I found out was this, I could never be good enough. I couldn't be good enough for my own standards. And what was really frustrating was I could never seem to be good enough for those around me who I wanted to affirm and give me attention. And then it would just make me angry. And then my only result was this, we'll just be better. And boy, that'll wear you out, won't it? Until I came to this point where I realized I have to continue to confess over and over again, Jesus, I am in process. And I just wanna press on to what you have for me. See, this is how you and I get past our past. 
One, we remember it differently, that Christ has come to save us from it. And then we begin to go, no, I don't need to let that drive everything. I need to lean into what God has for me. I need to begin to pursue what God has. A lot of times this is what we feel bad. We feel bad if we confess that we mess up. Actually, here's what happens. The more you confess that you need Jesus, the more your confidence grows. The more you and I begin to continue to say, no, God, I need you today. Because here's what we found out. This is what I'm finding out in my own journey. I'm creating my past today in the present. Think about that. What you're thinking about today, what you're driving after today is shaping your past. Because today will be your past. And so the question is this. What's your eyes fixed on? What are you driving after? What has your heart? What has your mind? You know why a lot of times we can't get past our past? It's because we're focusing too much on it. Even for us Christians, I know Christ has come to save me. We say silly stuff like this. I know God has forgiven me. I just can't forgive myself. And I know we struggle with it. This is why Paul says, I struggle with it. And this is why I forget what's behind. I don't focus on that. I focus on what Christ has called me to. And so I'm gonna run my life in such a way to win the prize. I'm gonna go after what God has for me. See, God has more for you than your past. This is why Paul says, I remember my past differently. And not only that, he says, I confess frequently my dependence and my need on Jesus. And then listen what he says in verse 18. He says, for as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, do you hear his passion? Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many people are focused on other things than Jesus. And he goes on to say this, and their destiny is destruction. And their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame and their mind is on earthly things. See, when you and I become a Christian and we begin to enter into this conflict and we see God dealing with our past, he begins to help us to see the past and go, man, that was just leading to destruction. Man, that relationship had nothing. There was no godly benefit in that. Man, the way I treated people, the way I lived, there was nothing. I just followed all my desires. No wonder I wrecked my life everywhere. And Paul says with tears, he's going, I'm crying out because people are focusing and making decisions that lead to their destruction other than the life that Christ has for them. And he goes on to say this in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You know how Paul deals with his past? He clings to his home deeply. Often right now, we feel like we don't have a home, do we? Some of you are like, Nate, I don't wanna to cling to my home. I spent 68 days with my kids. I need to get out of my home. Paul says, here's how I deal with my past. When it is overwhelming my mind, when it is overwhelming my life, when it is overwhelming my world, he says, here's what I remember, that I am a citizen in heaven. See, a lot of times we talk about our rights, especially right now with election year, we're talking about rights, all this other stuff. And what Paul says, if you wanna move past your past, you remember the rights that you have in Jesus. 
man, you remember that it is Christ who has set you free. Every time you are reminded of your past, he says, you remind yourself of your citizenship in heaven. You remind yourself that Christ has brought you out of that. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he says, when you place your faith in Christ, you are now a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. Man, we begin to know that Christ has set us free, that we rest in what God has for us, that we know this, our citizenship is not in this world. Matter of fact, Jesus says this to his disciples on his last night on earth. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you because my kingdom is not of this world. See, part of the problem is this. You know why you can't get past our past? It's because we're looking for the things in this world to help us get beyond this world and it can't deliver her. Paul says this, let this good godly conflict come into your life. I don't know what it is from your past. It might be pride, it might be shame. But here's what I know Jesus is saying. He's not just asking you to deal with it. What he's saying is this, would you let me deal with it? because I know it's dealing with you. I know it's eating you up. I know it's occupying your mind. It's keeping you from the dreams that I have for you. It is keeping you locked up. See, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free. And all you and I have to do is this, begin to let Jesus deal with it. For some of us, that means Letting, uh, letting God deal with whatever it is for the 4,673 time. Over and over again, confessing Jesus, what you did on the cross has come to set me free. Here in a moment, we're gonna take communion. And I know this is something that we do every week here at church. And what we do is this, we, we take this bread and we take this juice together. And I've kind of got this to go communion cup. And we're going to take this here in a moment. And I know this, I know this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. And for a lot of us, that just means a barbecue and we move on. But what happens is it's powerful when we stop to remember those who have laid their life down. And we remember those families who are dealing with the grief and the loss. And what I'm gonna invite us to do before we take communion is just have a moment to pray for our military families and remember those who have lost their life. And then this is what I'm gonna invite us into. That when we take communion, what we're gonna to declare today is this, that we're gonna be honest with the Lord and say, God, this is what I'm dealing with. And I'm gonna let you deal with it today. I'm gonna let you deal with it. Might be a sin that somebody has done to you, a hurt. Might be a sin that keeps coming up in your mind. But Jesus says, I've come to deal with it. And so right now, let's take a moment to remember those who have laid down their life for the country and their families. And then let us begin to let Jesus deal with whatever it is in our life today so that we can walk into the future 
that he has for us. So right now, let's take a moment of silence. Let's begin to pray and talk to our Father. I'll lead us in a prayer and I'll wrap us up today. But let's have a moment of silence right now. Jesus, we thank you for the families who have sacrificed so much through the military. Father, we're mindful of them right now. And God, the lives that have been lost. Father, so we can experience a freedom that, Lord, is unbelievable. And Lord, we do pray for our country, pray for our leaders. Pray for our future, pray for unity. But Jesus, we are very aware that our prayer is not just that we would be a successful country. That Father, our prayer is that our country would come to know you, Jesus. The one who can truly set us free. The one, Father, who can deal with all the issues, with all the thoughts, with all the fears, with all the regrets, with all the disappointments. Father, we're mindful of our graduates today that God, their dreams of finishing how they won are not coming to pass, but yet Jesus, you're greater than any disappointment. And so Jesus, in this moment, when we take this bread and we take this juice, what we are declaring is that you are our everything. Father, would you help us, especially those of us, God, who have not made a decision to follow you yet. Whatever we're afraid of, whatever conflict that we have, Lord, would you give us the ability to begin to trust you. And Jesus, no matter what we've dealt with in life, you are the one who makes us better. You are the one who changes us. And you are the one that we get to run after today. So Jesus, we declare you as our savior and our hope and our Lord today by what you did on that cross, defeating death and sin and raising once again from the dead. And so we celebrate this communion in your name today, Jesus. And it's by your power at work in us that we have joy in you. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's take our communion at home together if you have it. Declare that Jesus is our freedom. And I want to invite you right now, we're going to put some questions up on the screen. Whether you got some family or friends at your house or maybe you're just by yourself, take some time right now and allow the Lord to deal with whatever's going on in your life so you can experience his freedom. Let's spend some time with the Lord and we'll see you guys next weekend online.